Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're exploring how leaders can use social media to help other voices be seen and heard online. Now, if you scroll through any of your social media feeds today, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was anything but social. The common criticism of social is that too often it's just all me, 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 whether it's advice, a, a humble brag, or simply self-indulgent stories designed to give the, the poster a moment of celebrity. And sadly, this is one of the main reasons why so many leaders choose to avoid social media themselves, opting out of the seemingly global vanity project it can at times appear to be. And when good leaders aren't seen or heard online, when diverse and different voices are lost, that has a real trickle-down effect. And the saying goes, you can't be what you can't see. And this is equally true on social media. When leaders stay quiet and leave social media to the loudest voices, we're less likely to see and hear the wonderfully rich and diverse stories social media should be sharing, the stories that often aren't heard on other platforms. But leaders can change this reality. We've talked about the concept of me versus we before on this podcast, but today I'm thrilled to be joined by Antoinette Latouf, who understands this challenge, this reality, better than most. So alongside many other achievements, Antoinette is a broadcaster, columnist, author of How to Lose Friends and Influence White People, and co-founder of Media Diversity Australia, which is a great example of how she uses her own voice and influence to help others get heard. Antoinette, thank you so much for joining me on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Oh, I am so thrilled to be here. You know, I always struggle when I'm, you know, referred to or in the context of a leader. I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I didn't ever intend to be one. Um, it just it just so happened. Um, sometimes when you see things that are frustrating and unfair and you take action, all of a sudden you're a leader, even if it wasn't what you planned to do. And isn't that an interesting point? Because I, you know, this, that, that, this is an immediate tangent, but I wonder how many people do go in wanting to be a leader versus people who, as you say, find themselves in that situation mm. and almost accept that responsibility, put on the jacket and, and walk out there and take that responsibility themselves. Mm. So this is, and in, in the context of your leadership, Antoinette, this is a, a really interesting topic we're going to explore and one that I think it kind of sits on the fringes of conversations that I have with almost every leader because there is this default perception that social media is all me, 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 and, and that's one of the reasons why people stay away from it. But when you look at it through the lens of helping other voices be heard, elevating other people and other stories, it takes on a whole new value and mm. meaning. So I think the first question I'd like to ask you is, you know, why do you think it's important for leaders to use their own social media profiles to help other voices be heard? Oh, look, so many reasons. One of the, the main things I would say is it's so important when you are a leader to recognise the power and the privilege that you have and that you can probably say and do things with less backlash, not entirely no backlash. I find as my career progresses um, and I have I give less shits about a lot of things, I'm more willing to stick my neck out because I'm not worried that I'm not going to get that entry job after leaving high school. I'm not worried that I'm going to be socially alienated. I know that I can bounce back. So in many ways, especially when it comes to marginalised voices or people that are le have less power, and by that, that could apply to women, it could apply to people from the queer community, people of colour, people with disability, um, when you're in one of those situations, you have less power, 
it is so helpful to be amplified or supported by somebody else. And I do this for others because it was never done for me. Um, as somebody who grew up very working class, public educated, um, from an Arabic speaking background, refugee background, I had no power and no avenue. And I really want to ensure that um, others who find themselves in similar situations don't have to push and fight as hard as I had to because there is somebody else willing to shine a spotlight on them um, or be an ally and help elevate their voices. I think that's a wonderful, you know, legacy of starting an example to set. And it's funny what you say there about, you know, that position of, of leadership and the responsibility that comes with it. The fact that you now are in that space means that you're less worried about the ramifications of things that you may have been previously before having that profile, which is which is a funny, um, not ha-ha funny, it's an interesting observation because I remember reading a, a piece in Women's Agenda um, where you were interviewed and you were talking about this idea of, I think you said you felt like you were one comment or one tweet away from being harassed and, and threatened out of, um, out of yes. industry. So you, you know what I mean? it's interesting to hear that You've you've sounding sounds like you've reconciled mm. that and and um you you've grown more resilient through the experiences you've had. Yeah, I think so. And I I mean the very title of my book, which is quite um, cheeky, you know, how to lose friends and influence white people. And I talk about I talk about the fallout, the personal, the the professional fallout, the impacts it can have on your mental health, the fact that backlash can be so disproportionate based and often more based on who you are than what you said and and what you did um however since that article in women's agenda um i do feel and, and you know i don't want to um i don't want to sound too cocky and next week i get cancelled i do feel that i have enough things around me and support structures and resilience and avenues to not care if i'm struck off somebody's Christmas card list. In, in, in fact, I've struck myself off several ones. Um, but that's, again, that's an enormous position of privilege. Like I, that wasn't me five years ago. That wasn't even me two years ago. Um, and, and, and so to, to arrive at that is really, it's really liberating. And, and how would you, I suppose, what advice would you give to people who might still be going on that journey? Because you're right, it feels like there's a bit of a chasm between where you might feel you want to talk about certain issues and where you feel you might want to elevate certain people and stories and give them um, uh, attention and, and uh, focus that they haven't been given before because, as you said, there weren't people leading the way for you. You had to carve your own path and so therefore you're, um, you know, you're paying it forward, so to speak, to others behind you. If you're sitting at that, start, that starting point of your journey versus where you are today, there's a bit of a gap there. Um, mm. and, and as you say, that, that confidence doesn't naturally start from the beginning. How do you do it? How do you build that confidence? What sort of steps mm. did you take? And I think particularly online where, as you said, the backlash can be swift and it can be really unpleasant. Often it is, you know, very noisy, squeaky wheels but um, and, and a small minority of people, but they are a, a noisy minority. Yeah. How do people work through that to get to where you are today? Ah, uh, look, I've had to. I'll, I'll have to admit, I've made I've made mistakes. There are things that I have done that I wish I could take back. And the problem with the online world um, is it's permanent. And there are people who screen grab and revel at any misstep you you take or um, any anything that's I guess off brand or could potentially harm you is is there forever and often referred to. A couple of things I have done is be open to criticism and learning when I have done things wrong, and I absolutely have done things wrong and will continue to do things wrong, hopefully with less frequency. 
uh, ensure I surround myself with people who are my cheer squad, but will also go, hey, Antoinette, I think you're off the mark there. Hey, Antoinette, I think you went too far. Uh, One of the other things I also really work hard at doing is ensure that I am connected to and listening to other voices that have different experiences to my own. And so, you know, while I have been really vocal and critical in the past um, about things like mainstream media blocking out any, any voices that aren't white, equally, I can't do that to people with disability or to people from the queer community. So ensuring that I remain plugged in um, and listen to and learn from others. I can't just be on my soapbox um, if I'm not prepared to be in the crowd for others. Uh, and another thing I do is, like, I have a very kind of public um, and sort of documented journey with mental illness, which I continue to to manage. So I have sometimes setbacks. I've, you know, found myself a few times, you know, in hospital, um, needing treatment, needing to get back on track. So I speak openly about that because people would sometimes see me and go, God, look at her, like, look at her go. Um, And showing that vulnerability and showing um, that it's a continual work in progress. I see a therapist regularly. I have a psychiatrist. Um, So my, and I just, I guess it's important for me, for people to know that sort of leadership and impact can be congruent with mental ill health. They don't rule each other out. Um, and so that's another thing that I'm vocal about, but I, I also put a lot of work into to, to work on that that resilience and that self-growth and managing the anxiety and depression. I, what I'm hearing through that, and obviously, you know, even in that story you're sharing at the end there, which I would like to come back to, by the way, because I think it's a really good example of your own um, personal resilience and, and um, how to, you know, manage a very delicate and sensitive and personal topic that is something that is felt by a lot of people that isn't often talked about um, in the public domain. I want to come back to that because I think it's a really important example to um, to zone in on. But something you said in there around those mistakes that you've made caught me. And I think it's interesting because the way you described it, it sounds like you've had these mistakes, haven't we all? And mm. you've learned from them and you've built from them or grown from them. And I want to, I'm interested to know, do you see do you see these setbacks, if you can call them that, if you see these setbacks as opportunities for you to learn and grow? For example, the very clear message you just said there around, well, while this is my experience of a lack of diversity and inclusion, I've got to remember that there are my colleagues and friends over here who might be physically disabled, for example. That's not my experience, but I can't exclude them. So mm. have those moments been opportunities for you to learn and grow yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And there's some of the mistakes I've made. There are times where I haven't been a good ally to First Nations people or I've forgotten to uh, include or reflect on the experiences of people with disability. Other times where my fingers were just too quick to fire something off um, that was, you know, uh, perhaps a little bit off brand in that it was it was reactive and it was not fact based and it was not productive. It was emotional. Um, sometimes also in the, in the, in this area. Um, when a lot of the, the, the work I do, even though I am essentially a storyteller by trade, I'm you know so many so many of these things are felt so deeply and personally. It's sometimes easy to react at, w- without a professional lens and more from from the heart. And why it's important to have heart and passion, that's great. But whether when that overrides your professional judgment and you react or respond in the public domain, that can be problematic. So there've been a couple of instances in when I probably went too far because. I reacted with hurt and I reacted with 
emotion. And yes, we all have all these, we have all these feelings um, and we should be allowed to fail. Like, thankfully, I haven't done anything awful. Like, I haven't defamed somebody. I haven't spread false information. I haven't, um, you know, I haven't done anything legally problematic, but I've done things probably Im- that were too, too emotionally reactive. I think that I think that's important though as a lesson for leadership and and the point that you made which is really important when we're talking about your digital reputation when we're talking about the online world it is so easy for people to take screenshots and to play things back to you and remind you of your past oh and I'm I'm going to add to this point there is this hate blogger he's an absolute bigot um and he has a blog every time I tweet something he screen grabs my tweet and writes a hate blog about it. He has a website and a whole thread dedicated to me, and he has all these little minions responding with hateful things. So literally, there is there are people watching my every my every move online, and some of it's like innocuous and stupid. Like I made a joke about the Queen's um, the, the the list of people who were allowed to go over when the Queen uh, to bury the Queen. There was like you know. 15 extraordinary Australians, and one of them was Ben Robert Smith. And I was like, oh, if only I knew um, the way to get an invite to the Queen's burial was to allegedly abuse my partner and allegedly commit war crimes, maybe I would have handled myself differently. Um, You know, maybe I would have taken a different career path. You know, it was just like taking – and then it was like, oh, anti-Australian bigot, blah, 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 and then all these people just – and so I'm like, that was just kind of like a cheeky comment. That's not even controversial. Um, and unfortunately, if you Google my name, which, you know, I'm going to admit I do, his screen grabs of his hate blogs come up. Um, and so like, for example, if you're doing your research on me or somebody is, um, this person has gone through my Twitter thread and my Instagram thread. Um, and so, yeah, having that in the back of your mind is, is, is really annoying when you legitimately slip up, let alone when you're just kind of being cheeky. And I think just a small pause there to say, I'd encourage anyone whether it's for yourself or whether it's for your leader, absolutely Google yourself. You've got to see what the world sees about you to know what that perception is. And I think yeah. so that I would encourage people to do that. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with that at all. But I think the point in there, Antoinette, that you're talking about is even in those moments, good leaders listen and learn. Good leaders, um, they they have a position on something, they share that position, but it sounds like you're not going in with blinkers on and saying, no, I'm sorry, I'm not open to any other feedback or any other um, point of view. It's using those moments to actually ideally, whether it's for yourself individually or whether it's for the community who might be watching on, using that very public exchange as an opportunity for growth for everyone. And, and that's mm-hmm. a that's a massive thing. And, and whether that's you calling someone out for, you know, I, I remember the tweet that you put out a little while ago. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know the one I mean. <laughs> the tweet where you said, you know, it was at Africa Down Under um, seminar, and and the the, the panel, the the speakers were literally all white. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, how does this work? Those things, you know, that's the reverse of the scenario you just given us with Ben Robert Smith. But in that scenario, it's like you're calling things out which presents an opportunity for everyone looking on in the social media world to learn, to form an opinion, to learn and to grow. And and, and, and interestingly, to that point, that are categorically and clearly and very visually wrong. Like it's, it's fact-based. You cannot argue with the fact that there is a sea of white faces for Africa down under. Like in those instances, I back myself and I am provocative. And I think my caption was like, holy white Jesus or something like that. And I will, but I've fallen into trouble where it hasn't been so clear. 
when it hasn't been data backed. I know that if you are going to be, if you are going to take risks and be cheeky with your language and be provocative, you've got to be able to back it because there's going to be a whole bunch of naysayers and fragile egos going, but, 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 what about that? That's not fair and that's not true. So I guess that's my one, my one lesson is to ensure that you've really got your facts straight if you're going to make a, a statement online. So I want to go back to something you said before, Antoinette, where you talked about your challenges with mental health, because I think that this is something that, you know, as far as an experience goes and as far as an authentic story goes, you do have your facts straight because it's a lived experience. And it's a, it's a topic that is, um, I think, more increasingly spoken about online, hmm. but it is certainly not something that is in the mainstream. Um, and I think COVID, perhaps, that the pandemic itself has, has perhaps um, uh, in one way been a real, uh, been a genuine challenge for a lot of people with mental health issues. But at the same time, maybe hopefully, um, if we look back in, in years to come, a turning point for the visibility of those issues. And, and I was watching not that long ago, it was actually quite opportunistic. It wasn't research as part of this conversation, but I was watching the ABC and saw You Can't Ask That. And all of a sudden, a familiar face popped up on the screen talking about the idea of postnatal depression. Now, that's that's a really tough topic to cover, Antoinette. Yeah. I, it's kind of like you, you've got your own reasons for participating and for sharing your story. What I'm interested to know is, again, in the context of lesser heard stories and lesser heard voices, what happened on social media after that episode went to air? What what response did you get from people personally, maybe in helping them? Yeah, so it was the response was enormous. And even the decision to do that was a really tricky one. And now that I look back at it, like I, I can't watch it um, because it's I'm so vulnerable and it was so hard. Um, I stand by my decision to do it, but I it didn't then make me question whether I've paid it forward enough, like whether I've... I've done, I've tried to help because then what happens afterwards is the response is overwhelmingly like, I mean, positive is a strange way to put it, um, but it's uh, it resonates with a lot of people, people who've had those similar experiences, partners, people who don't even have children. So many people reached out. But within that reaching out, a lot of people then feel compelled to share their experiences. That's an additional emotional and mental load that can be really tricky if your current mental state is a bit precarious. And so what I've had to now do is go, yes, I want to be a voice. I want to make it easier for others. I want to show leadership. I want to show strength and resilience. But at what cost? And I think it's important as individuals and as leaders and as professionals for us to really balance and weigh up the pros and cons. You know, there was a definite pro. It resonated. It, it also shows somebody, people who think, you know, oh, she's got her shit together and she's successful and she's, you know, and she's tough and she, all of those things that, that I have this real vulnerability and this real struggle. So I think it challenges people's perceptions of strength and resilience. Uh, but at the same time, how much is that going to impact you and set you back? And it's something I've constantly juggled with in my mental health ambassadorship work. Uh, especially because it opens the floodgates for other people to reach out to you and go, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, this is what I've tried to do. And all of a sudden I'm trying to be a conduit and a person to, 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 to go, okay, I think you need to call this helpline and I think you need to do this and I want to listen. I would never ignore somebody who reaches out to me. But that's, a, that's an enormous kind of workload and emotional burden for me to take on. So I would say that it resonated with people. And people were very gentle and kind online, but it also meant that people offloaded a lot. And that's and that's heavy. That's really heavy. I can 
like you can hear the tension, can't you, between grappling firstly as to whether or not to do it and what the pros and cons will be, as you're saying, and then the ramifications. Yes, again, equally positives and negatives as part of that. What's really interesting for me hearing you talk through that is there's a risk in speaking up at any time on any issue, because as you said, there's always the haters and people who are going to, you know, ideally not screenshot and start a blog dedicated solely to you. But there are people like that out there who have nothing better to do than take pot shots from behind their keyboard. So there's a risk in speaking up on anything. When you speak up on something that is really close to your heart and that you're passionate about, and I think particularly in the context of this discussion, a not necessarily taboo topic, but a rarely discussed topic, that leaves you as a as a leader and someone who is who has decided to step out, it does leave you vulnerable. And it's funny because I've always looked at that as bravery. I've always looked at that as courageous without necessarily respecting what then comes back, which is entirely the point of having these discussions to help other people share their own story. I don't think I've personally respected the the impact that would then have as it comes back. You are putting your neck out yeah. as a leader every single time. Do you feel that you had the, I suppose, the, the support structure or the systems around you, or are there things that need to be done for people who are in your position talking about other issues, that when you do put your neck out for others and you do start to um, uh, encourage their stories through your own experiences, oh. how do you support yourself through that? Because it must have taken a massive strain. Yeah, so th- thankfully, like, the program had... Um a mental health expert on hand. I'm also an ambassador for the Gidget Foundation. So every time I speak, which is a perinatal uh, mental health organisation, they do amazing work for mums and dads. Uh, They ensure, they check in um, some of the psychiatrists and psychologists on staff are there if I need to speak to somebody, as well as the emotional load of people um, sharing their stories. um, It also runs the risk of people going, oh, I wish you had successfully nicked yourself. Uh, you know, the haters and the people, you know, who hide behind their keyboards. Um, you know, uh, thankfully I've never had that response. Uh, but I was conscious of that, that, oh, my gosh, that, that that's a real possibility that people will just try and drag me down further. The other thing about your digital reputation online and something you don't think about at the time is how is this going to impact your children as they grow older? So my when I first started talking about my experience with postnatal depression, my second child, that's when I experienced it, was just a baby. Now she's older and starting to read. At one point, they're going to be able to read and hear the things you've said. And I think that's probably something people may not necessarily consider in the moment. Like what you're saying now, how does that impact people that you care about? Maybe not now, maybe in five years or ten years because it's not going anywhere. And so that's another kind of consideration I've had to make belatedly. One thing I know you're big on, and I am too, and it comes through, it's the starting point actually for every bit of advice we give to clients is understanding your why. And I think if you understand Uh. your why, what you just described there in terms of um, the potential ramifications in the future, whether it's yourself or for others that are close to you, you think those things through. And, and you don't just yeah. go in in the moment, a knee-jerk response. And that's often the biggest risk is when you've got your, your smartphone in your hand and someone's having a go at you on Twitter, the biggest risk is to respond in that moment. If you're clear on your why, you can enter into discussions that are potentially controversial, potentially sensitive, potentially going to offend other people because you know where you stand on them and you know yeah. why you're having that conversation. And you ideally limit your risk 
you know, to a yes. much greater degree than you would if you go in blind yeah. with your with your eyes closed. And I think that goes back to your point about um, doing your research and and knowing what you stand for personally, but also understanding yeah. the context of the conversation you're entering into. So. Um, yeah, and, and what, it, I mean, I absolutely agree with all of that. It's so important and, and thankfully I have embarked on that journey. But I would I would say that I think a lot of people haven't and they're kind of just swinging wildly or trying to trying to make a mark and not, not sure exactly why. But within understanding that why, I think you're able to cushion some of that blow, some of the blows. It's like I believe so strongly in this that I'm prepared to cop some fallout. Um, because the bigger picture and the bigger gain is worth it. And I've braced myself and prepared myself for some of those, for some of that fallout. I guess that's how, that's how I've, people say, well, how do you do it? And I'm like, I think that's how I've maintained, um, you know, sort of my energy and resolve. Completely agree. And I think I'm simplifying it greatly, but by doing that and by absorbing some of those punches, that's what gives that buffer for those people who are at the start of their journey, who don't feel that they have a voice, that's what gives them a protective buffer to speak up. Mm. So in a way you're absorbing the punches so they don't have to, to give them a good start in this environment. And the more of those voices we hear, the more diverse voices we hear, the more these issues become mainstream. And, and that's mm. exactly the goal here, not to quieten those stories that haven't been heard, but to give equal opportunity for stories that haven't been heard. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I applaud you um, for the way that you've done it to date. As you say, we're all we're all making mistakes and we're all learning. But I think, you know, it, it takes people like yourself in order to to um, pave the way for others to have that conversation. So I think I think with that in mind, and it goes back to what you were saying just now, Antoinette, the fact that many people perhaps haven't thought about their why or have perhaps haven't thought about mm -hmm. it deeply. And some just go, well, you know, leaders across the country, I have to use social media because that's where people are without necessarily starting at a place of why am I using social media? Why will this help me, um, you know, leave a legacy, influence people in a positive way, demonstrate good leadership, all these things. They maybe haven't thought about that. So, if we can mm. hone in on that audience for a moment, and I know you, you, as you were describing before, you perhaps consider yourself an accidental leader. What would you say to people who are in a position of leadership today, um, the organisations around the country, what should they do themselves on social media to encourage diverse voices from within their organisations and just discussion yeah. outside? Gosh, I think um, for, for me, my, the why is... If you're not in it for kind of the social cohesion and the warm and fuzzy group hug type kumbaya, let's hold hands incentives, there are enough other incentives to show that bringing more people and voices and lived experiences to the table is actually better for business. So whatever industry you're in, uh, whether it's, you know, small to medium enterprises, large corporations, not-for-profits, startups, you are more likely to thrive if you actually have diverse people at the table. And how do you get them? You, well, you need to show that you're open to not only including diverse voices but um, showing that there is a way for them to have impact and to be heard. There's so much research that... Diverse organisations, diverse and inclusive organisations are more innovative, they're more profitable, they're more agile, they're better at responding to risk. The business case is there. And so I would say 
you need to position yourself online. Why should you position yourself online? We position yourself online, A, to be seen, to be seen, to care and to listen, but also to be there for people to connect and reach out. I have learned so much and met so many people. Anybody who messages me or connects with me on any of the platforms, I make time for. Sometimes not a huge amount of time for, but I engage with in some capacity. Um, In the amount of relationships I've been able to make, insights I've been able to gain, my own biases challenged, because we all have these biases, and I think it's important that we're continually challenged. I found it selfishly, um, and you know, so much of what I, uh, the way you've positioned what I do is about giving back, and yes, but I've selfishly gained enormous amounts of insights, enormous amounts of connections, enormous amounts of um, content. Um, and so I think, well, it's it benefits organizationally it benefits the organization it benefits it benefits public discourse um, and it also it benefits me as as a leader because I learn I'm challenged and I'm open to hearing and learning from others I think that's really strong positive and ideally <laughs> powerful reflections that people are hearing today Antoinette I think it's there is so much to be gained and I think that that point around You've got to to demonstrate that you are an open and inclusive organisation. You have to be out there. You have to be sharing these voices. You have to give people visibility of the fact that they are welcome, um, that these conversations are welcome. People are allowed to have different opinions, but you've got to to create a space for that. And I think leaders do set the example on and offline for that. Absolutely. And sometimes organisations or leaders will say to me, but we don't get candidates applying we can't get diverse candidates we can't get women into it we can't get first nations people it's like well who are you positioning yourself as why would people apply if they don't feel seen and heard and that there is an avenue to succeed um and so i I, in in those in those conversations i always you know one of the things i always say to them is if you continue doing the same thing and expecting a, a different result. I think Albert Einstein said something about the fact that that's a definition of madness, doing the same thing and expecting something different. So you need to radically, you know, reevaluate your approach. And the first thing, as we all do, we're all little Googlers, is we go and we have a look online. Why would we even apply if if we don't think that there's, that there's room for us to be heard and seen? One of my personal bugbears along those lines is, we're talking about, you know, recruitment, for example. And if you look at the policies within a lot of organisations, well, only three people at the, sitting at the very top of the tree are the ones who are allowed to speak on behalf of the organisation um, as an individual. So, you know, it might be three people from the executive as an example. All these other diverse and wonderful stories that sit within any organisation are then being muffled. They're not allowed to talk mm. about the wonderful job that they do. They're not allowed to talk about the stories that that they experience day in, day out. And as you say, that they are those practical and um, very real demonstrations of proof Mm. and evidence that this organization is more than one senior leader or two senior leaders who control every bit of comms that goes out on LinkedIn. Mm. This is about unearthing all those stories. And we keep saying to, to organizations, encourage and empower your people. If, you, if you're willing enough to hire them to do a job, mm. surely with the right education and governance, don't get me wrong, yes. you're willing to let them share their own stories. And that's the best demonstration of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Antoinette, there's so much wisdom for people who are looking to be more purposeful from what you've said today, more purposeful with their social media. If they have questions and you put yourself on the hook here and I said know. that you will reply to everyone. I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd love to hear if that's not the case, but Antoinette, we'll come back to you. What's the best way for them to contact you if they've got questions or encouragements from today? 
Uh, I'm kind of everywhere. So you can find me on Instagram, um, Antoinette underscore Latouf. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, um, Antoinette underscore news. Uh, I'm pretty much everywhere. So you can, you can get in touch. Um, and generally, like, honestly, I'm, 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 I'm happy to help or to at the very least recommend somebody who's better placed to deal with a query. But I have made and forged so many wonderful connections and learnt so many things by random people just reaching out because I just think we need to make space to listen, even, even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable and even if it challenges us and our views a little bit. Antoinette, thank you so much for sharing your story thank on you. your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.